As children in worship continues downstairs, we invite um, everyone upstairs to turn their Bibles to Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13, beginning at verse 31. Um, last week we were at the beginning of Luke 13 with Jesus' call to repent or perish and the parable of a fig tree that either needed to be fertilized and nurtured and have its roots dug out so that it could bear fruit, or it needed to be torn out, repent or perish, build and grow, or stop wasting time and space in the case of the fig tree. And today we come to the end of Luke chapter 13. And here Jesus has an interesting encounter with uh, some Pharisees. And it would seem in some ways that Jesus has um, perhaps one of the snarkiest lines in all of the Gospels here, but there's quite a bit of depth and layer to it, um, to the sermon title today, Go Tell That Fox. So as we read these words of Jesus, as we think about what it meant when he first said them, as we dwell on what it speaks to our hearts, our lives, our minds today, uh, I invite you to pay close attention to the themes of repentance and redemption, and even for Jesus' longing for the redemption of a people that are not always very repentant. And let, if nothing else, let that be a lesson of God's love for us, God's longing for our redemption, even when we seem to be waffling on our efforts at repentance. But before we read Luke 13, 31 through 35 today, let's pray. God, may your word, holy and inspired, be the rule for our life. May your Holy Spirit, sent upon us after the ascension, may your Holy Spirit dwell in this place in such a way that your scriptures may be illumined to us speaking not only an audible voice from up front, but an invisible, inaudible voice to each one of our hearts. For you alone, Lord, know what the past week for each and every one of us held, and you alone know what this week has yet in store for us. May your word be our rule, your Holy Spirit our teacher, and the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ, in his longing and love for our redemption, in the kingdom that he proclaimed. May that be our primary concern this day as we spend time with you, Jesus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Luke, Luke 13, 31 through 35. At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, Leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. He replied, Go tell that fox. I will keep on driving out demons and healing people. Today and tomorrow and on the third day, I will reach my goal. In any case, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day. For surely no prophet can die outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together, 
as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Go tell that fox, says Jesus. Doesn't that just sound like the ending line to an argument? You go tell that fox. It is a snarky line. It may even be struck as, well, not sarcastic necessarily, because oftentimes um, our sarcasm can erode our ability for sincerity. I would not think that any of us for the season of Lent should take on being more sarcastic. Because when we're sarcastic all of the time, it actually makes it hard to tell when we're being sincere. When a sarcastic person pays you a compliment, you're actually not sure if they mean it or you're waiting for the rest of the joke. Jesus is not necessarily sarcastic here. He is lamenting prophets who have died in Jerusalem that different attempts throughout centuries to to call God's people back have not been heeded and, in fact, have been met with violent resistance. So it's not sarcasm to be our takeaway, nor is it to be more snarky. I don't think any of us uh, need to add more snark in our life, whether it be in the things we say to our parents or the things that we may respond with to our children or to anyone else. But Jesus' line, go tell that fox, is meant to cut pretty deep and is a very specific form of truth-telling that Jesus is doing, getting at a few different layers of what's been going on up to this point in the Gospel of Luke. A fox is a great insult in Jesus' day. To call someone a fox is to call them a faker, a phony, a cheat. Now, think about, think about it this way, of calling Herod, the, the king over Jerusalem, calling him a fox, except if, if we remember that, that Rome is also in power. So, so Herod doesn't rule independently. Um, when you think of an animal, not a fox, but if you think of an animal that is powerful, majestic, and a sign of royalty, what do you think of? A lion. A lion is the sign of of power. And for Jesus to call Herod a fox is to say, you are not a real king. You may pretend to be the epitome of strength, but you're not. Jesus is saying, I see through you, Herod. Herod, who is paranoid about keeping power. Herod, who is ruling over his people to the best of his extent that he's allowed to from Rome, I see through you, Herod. You may pretend to be a king, you may pretend to be a lion, but you're nothing more than a fox, a sly fox who knows how to cheat, how to work the system with Rome, how to hold a position of power over the people. You are just a fox. Similarly, Call someone a fox is to say, sometimes foxes do burrow their own dens, but a lot of times they'll find an abandoned one 
and they'll enlarge it, whether it be of a badger or some other critter. So Jesus is also saying, Herod, I know your lineage. I know that the power and the palaces that you inherited, you didn't build those yourself. You're just holding on to them, but they're not really yours. You are not your father or grandfather that you would have built the palaces that they did. You're just like a fox holding down the fort that you inherited through a bloody family tree of parents who would kill their children, of brothers who would kill their siblings. You're just a fox. And it's quite possible that where Jesus was on this walk, as Jesus has set his face towards Jerusalem, as he is making his way towards Jerusalem, that there would have been one of the Herod the Great's palaces within viewing distance, or at least known close enough, that Jesus could have pointed to one of the houses of Herod and said, you go tell that fox. Because where else does Jesus talk about foxes in the Gospel of Luke? In Luke chapter 9, when some people come to him and want to follow him, in Luke 9 verse 58, Jesus replied to someone who said, I will follow you wherever you go by saying, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. As if to say, following me will not give you the fanciest house. Following me will not put you in a palace. Buying into the kingdom vision that I offer you will not make you the wealthiest, most powerful person in the world because I have come to call and make servants. Foxes have dens, as if to say, foxes like Herod, who are not real kings, and birds have nests. One of the symbols for Rome was that of the eagle. And Jesus is saying, this kingdom that I'm preaching, this way of life that I'm inviting you to follow me, does not lead you to be like Herod, that sly old fox. It does not lead you to be like that of Rome, where you will have wealth and power and palaces. You're not going to become a lion or an eagle by following me. You will become a servant. You'll become sheep. Or as Jesus compares the, the children of Jerusalem to here, you'll be like baby chicks. And anyone who has ever tried to raise chickens or turkeys or any other kind of fowl creature, you will know full well that a fox and a hen house are a bad combination. Jesus calls Herod a fox, and then he talks about God's people. Jesus talks of himself as, as the mother hen trying to gather all of the chicks under her wings to gather them together, to long for their redemption, for their safety and security. But they keep listening to the fox instead. Jesus insults Herod in some of the ways that are the most biting and politically charged in the day. But now, it's even more interesting to know that, that it's the Pharisees who came to Jesus in the first place in verse 31 that they came to Jesus and warned Jesus for his own safety, leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. Now, there are some Pharisees who sincerely appreciate Jesus. 
there are some Pharisees who appreciate Jesus. Nicodemus, in John chapter 3, came to Jesus to be taught by him. There are some Pharisees that Jesus had cordial relationships with. Not that he ever made anything soft or easy for them. Because this whole passage is a special form of truth-telling that Jesus has. There were some Pharisees who would be concerned about Jesus, who would care for him. But there's something else going on here, both in their approach to Jesus and in the way Jesus tells them to go tell that fox. Also in Luke chapter 9, towards the beginning, when Jesus has sent out the twelve, it's Herod who catches wind of these people going out and doing these things. They're healing people. They're, they're casting out demons. They're proclaiming the good news. They're talking about a different kingdom. And then nine, chapter 9, verse 7 of the Gospel of Luke. Now Herod the Tetrarch, that sly old fox, heard about all that was going on, and he was perplexed because some were saying that John had been raised from the dead, others that Elijah had appeared, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago had come back to life. But Herod said, I beheaded John. Who then is this that I hear so much about? And he tried to see him. There's a whole sermon to be preached about what's meant by he tried to see him. But suffice it to say that Herod has beheaded John. John the Baptist, who had a large following in the Judean countryside. And now Jesus is on Herod's radar because Jesus is talking about another kingdom, and that could be seen as a threat. And Herod the fox does not like to be threatened. But he sends the Pharisees, a few Pharisees who would be playing games with Herod, he sends them essentially as a proxy because Herod has already beheaded John the Baptist. And that means that he can't push too hard or he will lose control. And if Herod cannot control Herod's people, then Rome will no longer trust Herod to be the ruler over the region. And so it is that Herod could have just sent a group of soldiers and killed Jesus on the streets, but he can't because he's not a lion, he's a fox, and he has to play the games. And so he sends some Pharisees instead, so the Pharisees can act concerned for Jesus' behalf. Some of them truly would be, but a few sent by Herod would not be. They go to just urge Jesus, leave this place and go somewhere else. As if they say, we don't really care where. You just need to not be here. Herod wants to kill you, but if Herod can't kill you, he at least wants you to be somewhere more obscure where people aren't going to pay attention to you. So when Jesus says, go tell that fox, it's not just his calling out of Herod. It's also his calling out of the Pharisees who were sent by Herod. Most literally, Jesus would be saying, you go tell that fox of yours. You go tell that fox of yours. As in, you who came from Herod, why don't you go on back and you tell that fox? I don't think very many of the Pharisees would dare to call Herod a fox to his face. What does this mean for us in Lent? Other than one, I think just a huge appreciation for the weight of the words that Jesus has. But secondly for us, the way Jesus tells truth is with great clarity 
is with great perception of where things came from. Probably at one time of our lives or another, all of us have experienced some side effects of gossip or tried to catch up with a story being told. One of the things that Jesus demonstrates for us here is Jesus knows the origin point of every narrative being shared. Jesus knows where these Pharisees came from. Jesus knows who Herod really is in the depths of his heart. Jesus knows all of those things, and Jesus is able to tell the truth fearlessly. Jesus is not scared of Herod, even though he has set his face towards Jerusalem and knows that he will die. And Jesus also has some empathy for our pain. Some of the lament that Jesus offers about the death of the prophets in Jerusalem, about Jerusalem always pushing away those who were sent to call her back. Some of that's pretty fresh for Jesus in relation to John the Baptist. John the Baptist has been beheaded. John the Baptist who baptized Jesus. John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, has been beheaded. And Jesus speaks then of Jerusalem killing the prophets and stoning those sent to you, and yet still speaks of longing. For one, woven throughout this text is not a picture of Jesus that is distant from our pain or unfamiliar with our sufferings, as the book of Hebrews puts it, but rather a Jesus who also feels our pain and our loss with us and alongside of us. In this season of Lent, as we seek to follow Jesus with repentance that leads to redemption, I hope that we hold up our picture of Jesus is not one who's distant and far off, but one who cares earnestly for us, and one who knows that we can't all do it on our own, just like a hen cannot survive with a fox in the hen house. And perhaps one other element just in the clever reply of Jesus calling out the Pharisees, calling Herod a fox, hearkening back to this different way of life that he's given to us, is our own call for repentance. That we all have areas of our lives that might be unexamined or certainly unrepentant, areas that continue in what we would call habitual disobedience, not just a moment out of character, but consistently out of sync with God's ordained priority for us. And yet, Jesus still is longing for redemption. Jesus is still longing to gather those together like a mother hen gathering her young, even those who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you, even those who really prefer working with the fox because it's what they know and it seems easier. We sang Psalm 126 earlier in worship, which speaks to us of those who go weeping will go out with songs of joy, and though we are weeping, we will keep on sowing. Psalm 126 always gets to me in a certain way, because the first time that we sang it here on a Sunday morning worship, 
was the Sunday after the week that Howard Bauman and Dave Hookstra had both passed away. Though we are weeping, we will keep on sowing. Though we struggle with our efforts of repentance, we will keep on seeking God's redemption for our lives. Jesus, in the same way, with Psalm 126 in his memory and in his heart, is saying, though I am weeping, though I am grieving, though I am lamenting the loss of John the Baptist, I will keep on doing what I'm called to do. Go tell that fox, says Jesus, that I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today, tomorrow, and the next day to reflect a journey towards Jerusalem and also specifically using a three-day journey to signify completion. I'm going to keep on driving out demons and healing people meaning I will keep on doing good even if there's foxes like Herod out to get me. Friends, do you ever feel like some of your best efforts are being sabotaged? Do you ever feel like the hardest work that you do comes up against the most resistance? Do you ever sense that the best intentions that you set for yourself seem to be met with the most unraveling at the seams. Now, we might want to blame people quickly. We might want to look for a quick fix. But what Jesus does in his full sense of truth-telling, Jesus' ability to perceive all of the different things that are going on here, Jesus' resolve does not change. I'm going to keep on driving out demons and healing people. What's the best intentions and the highest good that you're trying to do? Whether it be within your family, at work, in any other part of your week that you go to, Monday through Saturday. Who are the foxes? Who are the foxes that are trying to steal it away? And how much does it affect your resolve? Throughout the season of Lent, if we take a cue from Jesus, one who understands our struggles, we don't get permission to be snarky from the Bible. Because one thing I'm very fond of clarifying is that we don't get to say that we tell it like it is, because that implies that we're omniscient, that we know all that there is going on. We don't tell it like it is. The best that we can do as finite human beings is to call it as we see it. Jesus can tell it like it is in a way that we don't have the capacity to. We can call it as we see it. And maybe we decide not to play games with the foxes or the Pharisees, but to get clear maybe on what is it that sabotages us and what's our role that we play in that. Not just to blame the foxes and eagles, but to wonder what role do we play in letting resistance continue to happen against our best intentions, against our best good. That it doesn't change Jesus' resolve, even though it does affect him personally. 
to know the death of his cousin John the Baptist. And maybe if you're fasting and you think at this point, ah, I'm not doing so good, or you've set out to take on a practice and it's not going well, Nathan reminded me of something from last year not too long ago that I compare fasting to a batch of cookies. If you bake a batch of cookies and you burn them, you don't give up making cookies. You bake the next batch. One error does not prevent us from pursuing good. And I hope if Caitlin would burn a batch of cookies that she wouldn't stop making cookies forever because they're good. And we all like to eat, as we were reminded yesterday at the Lip Sync Battle. What's the good that you'll keep on doing? What's the truth-telling that needs to be done for yourself, to others? And where do we take a good, hard look at the good that we're setting out to do that we will not be deterred in our resolve to continue to drive out demons or healing people? We don't think of driving out demons as exorcism, typically. Um, Pastor Audrey and I are not certified for exorcisms, at least I'm not, Um, or healing people. I wonder if sometimes we set out to drive out the demons of hunger by feeding people, or if we drive out the demons of loneliness in an isolated society by being a place of fellowship and welcome. I wonder if we drive out the demons of missing role models in people's lives through kids' hope or the crossing. I wonder if we can seek out healing people through what we teach about a Jesus who cares deeply about us. If we seek healing people through continued prayers and acts of service, whether it be in recovery or in chronic ailment, or if we seek healing people through healing the broken spirit by creating spaces for people to share the deepest pains that are on their hearts. If we stick to that kind of resolve, just like Jesus, then we can go tell the foxes of this world, no matter how malicious they might be, that we're not afraid of them because we're going to keep on driving out demons and healing people until Christ returns or calls us home. Amen. Let's pray together.